Join me and my guest, Lauren Truk, as we talk about Lauren's personal story on his path into the business brokerage business, instead of following a path laid out by his family in the perfumery industry. Lauren shares his experience and knowledge about investing in online businesses. Welcome and enjoy. Welcome to the Cashflow Canucks podcast, where Canadian entrepreneurs and investors come to learn about wealth creation. Experts in their fields will join your host, Peter Lount, to share their successes, challenges, and discuss opportunities. All right, today on Cashflow Canucks, we have Lauren Truck. Did I pronounce that right? Hopefully. Yeah, Laurent or, or Laurent, it's, uh, I go by both, so it's fine. All right, great. He and Laurent is the founder of Maddox Capital, uh, business broker for online businesses. Laurent, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to uh, have this conversation. Appreciate Very good. It. Can you uh, tell the uh, group a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So um, where do I begin? Uh, born in France at the age of five, my parents immigrated to the U.S. Uh, my parents are the Frenchest people you can possibly imagine. Uh, my dad was a perfumer. My grandfather was a perfumer. My great-grandfather was a perfumer. Uh, they were hoping I would follow in the footsteps, but uh, just wasn't in the, in the cards for me. Um, so I grew up in New Jersey. I uh, got an engineering degree. Um, first job out of school was uh, Deloitte Consulting, so I never actually did anything in engineering. Um, did some big implementations, uh, software packages for Deloitte, uh, worked for a telecom company in New York City uh, during 9-11, had to rebuild the fiber optic infrastructure of New York, which was uh, a pretty interesting and uh, a grueling uh, job for a while. Uh, and then I met a girl and she was Canadian and she imported me into Canada. So um, because I spoke French, I was like, ah, this could be a, a good move. And it was a very good move because I had uh, this was pre two thousand eight, so I dodged the the big financial um, issue that happened in the U.S. That really in Canada was uh, I wouldn't call it a non-event, but it was a much smaller event up here. Uh, and then when I came here, I started working for a company called Dun Bradstreet. Um, I wanted to get into the business world. I always had a passion for business. I uh, wanted to be an entrepreneur secretly, but it's not something that my family really uh, we, we weren't brought up that way. Um, I think you and I talked, so just like you, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like all these books were, were part of my foundation of my own learning, but not something that I really learned at home. So Dun & Bradstreet has the largest database of businesses. I wanted to better understand business. And so I decided to take a job there. And I went through the ranks pretty quickly, uh, ended up as VP of sales, and then ran their government, um, their government vertical. Uh, so I was Flying out to Ottawa every three weeks, I was doing some you know, major commuting across Toronto to get to the office, and eventually I just got burnt out. And um, in the back of my head, there was always this, uh, hey, you've always wanted to start your own business, so maybe it's getting close to that time. So a few years ago, just like everybody in corporate, I had an RSP, I had a 401k. Um, about eight or nine years ago, I started diversifying and buying some real estate. And um, I had a group of friends, we all got together, we, we made some good investments. And I kept talking to my buddies in the US who said, Oh, be careful when the crash happened in 2008, it took down real estate and, and the market. And I'm like, that's true. Like I'm fully vested in both of those niches. And so around 2016, I started doing some research on what else was out there, like where else should I be diversifying my money? And um, I, I 
got sold on the concept of going into small businesses. Um, it, you know, having something in your backyard is less impacted by some of the global um, issues that could take place. And um, you can manage uh, inflation by increasing your prices. You had a lot more control. So I like that. So I started researching that. And then I landed on online businesses and I completely fell in love with the space. Uh, for me, getting rid of my commute, um, being able to work from anywhere in the world as long as I had an internet connection, um, having low overhead, being able to find employees around the world for significantly less. Like if you got a restaurant, you have to hire somebody local, right? Online, it, there's, there's a world of um, experts that are at your fingertips. So um, that's when I said, okay, I'm jumping into the space. Uh, I networked with a bunch of people, met some folks out of the US that have been doing this for a long time. And um, one of them became a close friend of mine. He manages 42 different websites. And he goes, listen, if you want to learn this thing, there's no other way than just to dive in. And so I bought my first site and uh, now I started my own business. <laughs> awesome. And so I want to go back, just I'm going to get into more specifics in terms yeah. of all, all this works. Um, but you have generationally, you have perfumers is that how i say it perfumers yeah. in your but is <laughs> that a form of entrepreneur like is there, are they running their own businesses is that no 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 so my it's sort of my great-grandfather so we're we're from the part of france in the south where the perfumery industry really started and um so my my great-grandfather was actually a chauffeur for one of the ceos and he asked him to start working with them and my grandfather worked for the same company. My father worked for a different company, but down the street. Um, and then with my dad, they decided, like all the perfumery companies in the 80s had decided to come to the US to start really uh, a big expansion. And uh, my dad was 25 at the time, got tapped on the shoulder, and he said, oh, this could be interesting. So he moved here. But it was, it was a job. And, and growing up, that was what I was taught. You find a company you, you, you like, you know, you get a good education, you land a, a good job and you stay with that company your whole life and they'll give you a pension. I'm like, times have changed. There's no pensions there. You know, things are very different. And so, um, it took me a lot of deprogramming to have the confidence to really kick off my business. Right. And that's where I was trying to get to, um, where I was going to lead to my next question was like that shift to go, if you didn't have a generationally how hard was it to make that shift? So it was a lot of unlearning what you had grown up just as like, this is how it's, how it is. Right. Yeah. I, I, I was very goal oriented. Like I wanted to build wealth. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I started getting Inc magazine. Uh, when I was 17 years old, my parents got home and there was a financial advisor at their kitchen table. They had never had one before. And I called the guy up and I said, listen, I saved some money from, uh, from my different jobs that I have. And I did this research on real estate investment trust. These REITs, they sound pretty cool. I want to invest. And the guy looked at me, he's like, you're 17. Like, when are your parents getting home? I need, I need them to co-sign on this. You can't sign this paperwork. So I, I always had the, um, the desire for more than just uh, a job. Um, but I never knew if it was going to be just through investments or if it was going, going to be through entrepreneurship until I really started reading a lot of books. And, and Rich Dad was one of the first ones that really got me into that headspace of um, all the, the benefits of business and that the, the world, the tax laws, like they're made for, to, to help business owners move the ball. Um, and when you're in the US, like you get fed a lot of that. The, the entrepreneurship um, 
vibe is kind of all around you, especially nowadays, not so much back in the 80s, but uh, it, it definitely, I was getting it from every single angle, except when I got home. And when I got home, they're like, oh, how, how was work today? Are you ready to go back to work tomorrow? And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, if you, you have fallen rich dead as well, I mean, you know, you listen to it and it's like the tax code is built for employee. It's super simple. It's like one or two pages for the business owner, the entrepreneur. It is like volumes of it, but it's really about how do you do business with the government and take advantage of it. So that's um, definitely interesting. Now into the online businesses, how does that work? Do you focus on the buying, the selling? What what specific area are you? Yeah, so um, online business is an interesting space. Um, if you take a look at real estate, for example, you have a buyer broker and a seller broker. If you want to sell your house, you go find a broker. They represent you. They have fiduciary responsibility to support you through that process. If you want to buy a house, same thing. Your broker is your broker, and there's a lot of oversight that uh, that is built into the process. When you buy businesses, whether online or not, that doesn't exist. Uh, a broker is, uh, they call them intermediaries, and their responsibility is to make the deal happen. But the reality is that they have a contract with the seller. They're paid by the seller. It's a commission base that they negotiate with the seller. So in reality, when you get into the weeds and you start working with these brokers, you very quickly realize that if you're a buyer, they're not on your team. They're going to try to do everything that they can to maximize their commission, uh, to speed up the sale, to get uh, competition going for the deal. And they're doing it on behalf of, uh, of the seller. So when I bought my first site, I saw a little bit of that. And then um, as I bought more and more sites, as I was dealing with more and more sellers, like I, I just fell in love with learning about business models. So I was downloading all these prospectuses offline. I was calling sellers and brokers, acting as a buyer, even if I wasn't necessarily in the market, and negotiating just to, so I can learn. And as I was going through that process, luckily I spent 15 years in sales and negotiating very large contracts with very large businesses and government entities. I knew what to look for and I knew how to avoid some of the traps. And I just saw like the basic traps, like these, these seller brokers were really just pushing for maximizing the, the, the price of the business. So I realized this is a space that needs buyer broker representation. So although I can represent a sale or a buy, my focus has been on the buyer broker side, helping individuals that want to buy a business. Because um, the reality is you don't buy 100 businesses in your lifetime, right? You're going to buy one or two. And for you to learn all the experience that you need to not get taken, to avoid fraud, to do the proper due diligence, it's just unrealistic. Um, and if you're buying a brick and mortar, you're probably bringing a lawyer, you're probably bringing an accountant, which you still should do here, but there is no lawyer or accountant that has the level of experience with online businesses that they do with regular businesses or with real estate. So I, I just saw a very clear opportunity. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm diving in with both feet. And so you get into, and maybe this is a bit of a part of that entrepreneurial experience too, right? Is, um, you know, why would someone buy a business versus just, you can start up a business online in a day, basically, right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of saying it, knowing having gone through experience myself, like it's mm -hmm. not as easy as what it seems, but can you just take us through that? That was probably one of the first things I did is I decided to start a blog when I bought my very first business because I wanted to see how much 
like, what's the benefit? Everybody was telling me, oh, there's a benefit of buying versus building. So fundamentally, I am now a huge believer to not build, but to buy. Unless you have an idea, like I'm, I am building my business here with this brokerage because it doesn't exist. I can't buy it because I literally found two other buyer brokers in the world that do what I do. So it's not like there's a lot of market for me to go out and buy and, and just take over their business. Um, so for me, when you buy, uh, sorry, when you sell, uh, build from scratch, there's a 50% chance of failure. That, that's kind of what the metric is at. And uh, I value my time. And when you look at the amount of effort that it takes to get a online business, whether it's an FBA store, whether it's a drop shipping store, whether it's a blog uh, or, or SaaS, which is even um, requires even more upfront capital, it takes a very long time. Um, 10 years ago, you could build a blog, put a couple of keywords together, and Google would put you at the top. Nowadays, It'll take you eight months just to start getting any real traffic. Um, and then you're probably making maybe 50 bucks a month, right? Unless you're hugely lucky, it is a very, very time consuming process. And there's a, a hundred gurus out there that have the magic formula that tell you they'll get you up and running in no time and you'll make a fortune. I've looked at a lot of those programs and um, I mean, there's a reason that they're selling programs. <laughs> they're not starting their own businesses over and over again. When you buy, however, you get to the front of the line. You get to pick out of all the winners, the 50% that have been successful. The process is built, the product is there, the demand has been created, the, the website is optimized, the employees are in place, there's operational procedures, there's historical evidence that the business has been successful. Um, and so what you're doing is you're, you're saving yourself a lot of pain, a lot of potential failure, but a ton of time. And the day that you buy that business, you start making money. That revenue now becomes yours. That profit becomes yours. So um, actually on my website, I have a, a free ebook to download that just kind of goes in my personal belief of um, unless you have zero money and infinite amount of time, then in that case, maybe it does make sense to start a business from scratch. Um, I suggest looking at what's out there and, uh, and buying. Okay, so now how about um, why are people selling their businesses? Yeah, so I, I bought a business uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, it was a news business in a very, uh, very narrow niche. Um, the guy was selling it for probably 50% below market value, and that was my first question to him. Like, you've got, you know, it's got advertising revenue, it's got a bunch of different ways of making money. Uh, it makes about $5,000 a month. You're living off of that. Why would you sell it? And he goes, I'm exhausted. It's like, I've been writing the same stuff for seven years on this blog. It's one thing to start a business because you have a passion or, um, because you, you, you like a niche, but everybody changes. Like we're, we're not in a world anymore where people want to stay for the same company their entire lives. Like you want to start something new. You want to diversify. You want to try other things. So, uh, a lot of people will sell because they're bored. Um, a lot of people will sell because they have to. So divorces, uh, breakup in partnerships, medical issues. There's unfortunately a lot of that that drives um, the, the requirement to sell because they need cash. Um, and then the ones you have to watch out for are the ones that are in an industry where they see something coming up that they don't like that's going to impact their business and they're trying to offload it quickly. And so um, what I've done is I've built a very strong network of brokers out there and I talk to them on a regular basis. And it's weird, like when they all call you and say, hey, I got this great deal on uh, vaping systems, you're like, wow, 
I, that, that's a fourth vaping call I got this month. Something's happening in the industry, right? And you do some research. And now, you know, the, a couple of years ago, um, there was a bunch of reports coming out that vaping was very unsafe. And then the government put, uh, put some stipulations in place. And uh, it definitely hurt the industry as a whole. So um, those are usually the reasons that people want to sell. Um, and then you've got the, the, the builders, people that are just entrepreneurs at heart and they love building something. And as soon as they build it to a certain level, uh, we bought a site not too long ago. It was um, a print on demand business. And uh, the guy had built it after a year and it was finally like, you could just see the revenue was going up, 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 up. And, and you could tell it wasn't at its peak. It kept going and he wanted to sell. I'm like, why don't you wait till you feel you got a peak and maximize on it? He's like, oh, I have a hundred other ideas that I need to go build. Like, I don't have time. I, I want somebody who has the confidence they can do this. I'll give them everything they need to do it, but I need to move on. So it's, it's different situations, but um, there's people out there selling good sites. Wow. And how about um, when you look at a business to buy, do you see a lot of untapped opportunity in some of them in terms of like example of that one you're seeing there's, there's a, is that where you're, one of the things that you're looking for when you're buying a business? Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you buy a business, part of the process is you get a prospectus and it itemizes out uh, everything about the business. And there's usually a whole section around growth opportunities. And 90% of the time, it's always the same one. More SEO, more pay-per-click ads, this thing, sky's the limit, it'll never end. The, the trick in being su successful in this space is peeling back the covers and finding assets that are underutilized. So there's a site right now that we're close to closing on. And um, it's a dropshipping site. Um, the guy has an email list of 4,000 customers that he's never used. He's never once emailed that customer list. And he, all his customers have been coming from Etsy. He has not yet built a Shopify site. And so the game plan that I have for my customer is we buy this thing. It's already, uh, he's selling it under value. Um, we start the Shopify site. And we market a discount to those 4,000 customers who, by the way, like the guy has five-star reviews on all of his products. So they like the products. They bought at some point in the last two years. You haven't marketed to them. Let's get them a discount to go to your Shopify store and build that up. Now you have a business that before was only valued based on the revenue that the Etsy shop was making. Now you have two sources of income. It's diversified across two platforms. And instead of selling at a 1.7 uh, multiple, it sells for a three multiple. So you're making more money and you can sell it for a higher multiple down the road. So those are the kind of opportunities that I'm looking for. Um, something that you know a lot of sellers will will have an expertise or want an expertise in something and they're not looking at the big picture of being able to add more monetization to it or even automation like part of this dropshipping site uh, he was manually copying every order that was coming out of Etsy into his dropshipper and so the first thing we talked about is okay how much does it cost a month to put a software in there that will do that automatically reduce errors and take 45 minutes a day out of his workday and, uh, you know, you do that when you go to sell that business and you tell somebody truly is automated, you can, you can sell it for a premium. Um, another really good example of that is a, a buddy of mine. Um, I helped him buy a business and um, it was a print on demand business and it had a really unique software that was um, what it did is it tracked social media posts. And when a social media post 
had a certain keyword in it, it would automatically post to that social media person and to their um, uh, to, to everybody that, that followed them. I don't want to give too much detail because what ends up happening what ended up happening is the, the guy my buddy bought the site realized the value of the software behind it and is now starting his own business based on the software as a B and B solution. Right, a business to business solution. So um, those are the kind of things we look for. It's not just, hey, the site makes this much money. Sure, you can keep it and continue to make that money. And usually you get a return on investment within two to three years. Um, but it's being able to find the nuggets of value in those. Um, and as long as you have the time to implement, that's where you're making your real money. Right. Okay. So there could be some unhidden gems or assets within the business. Um, so you mentioned Etsy, Shopify. Is that the type of business that you get into? Is it all online shopping? Can you give me varieties? Yeah, of what you it's all into? online. So the, the big thing, and I find that it goes in waves. Like a few years ago, there were Amazon FBA sites all over the place. That was the big hot topic. Uh, Dropshipping was just before that. Um, software as a service now is becoming very, very hot. Problem with software as a service, it typically costs a lot to build the software before any revenue comes in. So they sell at a much higher multiple. Um, but, um, yeah, there's, there's digital downloads, which is my personal favorite. You don't have to hold any inventory. Like say you build an ebook that has a certain value or you build a mini course that people can download. Um, and all your focus is on driving marketing to that site and they download and every time they download, they, they pay for, for what you have. Uh, subscription sites are very popular, especially in the, um, in the trading world. There's like trader magazines, for example, you can subscribe to, or like give you tips and tricks on how to improve. And, um, trying to think what else, I guess, services. Um, and then there's, there's content. Content is probably the majority of the sites that are out there, uh, small blogs or, uh, expert content sites that typically are monetized through affiliate revenue or, um, advertising right? Those are guest posts. Sometimes those are kind of the big ones. So yeah, so but but really, there is no limit. If it's online, and there's no physical property to it, then uh, I'm game to try to buy it or try to sell it. Um, right now, social media is becoming very hot. Right? So let's say you have a mattress company, and somebody has a social media site that's been testing different mattresses. Um, instead of competing with them I and mean, you can do a joint venture and, and be on their podcast, for example, or, or do a show, or you can just buy out their entire channel and you get access to all their followers in one time. Right. So that's becoming, um, Gary V always says this, the, the new currency is eyeballs. And so if you have a business, wherever you can find those eyeballs and buy those eyeballs or rent those eyeballs doing joint ventures, that's, that's your growth strategy. That's, uh, that's the game plan. Um, so a lot of businesses are now looking for that. And I think with, with COVID brick and mortar businesses are now trying to figure out how to do everything online. And they're, they're kind of muscling it to try to build their, their websites. A lot of times they can buy something that's already out there that will merge very well with what they have, diversify their income and, uh, and grow their business. Yeah, collaboration is definitely a, a great t untapped tool, um, to get into, uh, so the businesses that you deal with, are you, is there a certain, um, how much does it cost to get started into it? You know, how lower, how higher these deals that you're talking about? So uh, the, the range is all over the place. So the, the big uh, seller broker in the space is Empire Flippers. And five years ago, their average deal size was probably 100 to 120 grand. Uh, now it's probably 
800 to 1.2 million. So the size of online businesses have definitely grown. So it, um, a lot of people that come to me say, hey, I just want to dip my toe in. What's kind of the lowest that I can get in? Uh, you're probably looking at, you can get under $50,000, right? Um, the site that we're <clears throat> looking at right now is 40 grand. The site I sold about a month and a half ago or bought a month and a half ago was $25,000. Um, what I tell people though is understand that the value or the price is based on how much money it makes, right? So it's usually a three X of profit or in this space, we call it seller discretionary earnings. So um, whatever money the business generates that the seller can use, whether he uses it for his car allowance, whether he uses it for salary, it's all kind of lumped together. So if you have a, a site that makes hundred thousand dollars a year, um, you're probably paying around $300,000 for it. It's a three time multiple to that profit. Depends on the model, right? So that, that's the e-commerce price point. If you're doing drop shipping, because drop shipping usually has much smaller margins and there's a lot more competition, it's usually a little less. You're more at like a two to 2.2x. Um, and if you're a SaaS, you're more at a four to five X because there's a lot of um, upfront capital in building the software. Um, and usually it's got a much longer tail, right? So when you've got a customer, they pay monthly and you see that revenue for, for quite some time. So that's, that's typically how they're valued. Um, yeah. I, and can you talk about the financing side of it? So not everybody has $300,000 sitting in their pocket or in their bank. No, no. So there's different ways. Uh, when I got my, into my first site, uh, it was a half a million dollar site. It was an Amazon FBA with... Um, Shopify, Walmart, eBay, and some affiliate marketing. Like I, I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all in. I wanted something that was going to make a good amount of money. Clearly, uh, that was going to be a lot of money to put forth into something that I knew nothing about. And my wife said, are you absolutely <laughs> insane? So I raised capital. I went out and talked to some friends, talked to these people in the US that I had networked with, and we raised it for investors, uh, gave them a guarantee of a certain return, and then we kept the rest as operational leads on, uh, on the business. Um, in the US, you have a lot more options. Um, the Small Business Administration has started offering loans now where you can put um, on an e-commerce site, you can buy for 10% down and you can borrow 90%. So it's fantastic. Um, in Canada, we're a little further behind. There are some banks that are willing to do some loans um, that will depend on the type of site. If the site has no inventory, they probably won't do any loans. But if you're doing like a Amazon FBA and you've got a bunch of inventory already, they can use that as uh, part of their collateral and then they'll give you kind of a, a loan to be able to either purchase or for um, for managing the business <clears throat> excuse me so there are private lenders that are out there um, they're not cheap they're charging 10% um, I'm actually part of a network in the US that um, that does do that private lending so if somebody really wants to buy a site then there, there is money available but the way so the, the number one way, however, is seller financing. So in this industry, it is 100% expected and common that the seller will take back a certain amount and usually at 0%. So when I structure a deal, I usually do 30% upfront, um, another 30%, it depends on how, how uh, big the deal is and how much I want the seller to continue being engaged. My first site, it was 30% upfront, 30% after a year, and then it was an earnout where we paid 30% of profit until the final payment was a balloon payment two years out. So we were able to negotiate two years payments because it was a half a million dollar deal. It was, it was quite large. 
Um, on smaller deals, you can usually do 50% upfront, 50% a year later or six months later. It all depends on the negotiation. Um, but there's there's absolutely that um, that vehicle that's available. Yeah, so it's kind of similar to in real estate, the VTB vendor take back where you basically, if that seller takes that big influx of cash, they're going to have a potentially a big tax problem they're going to have to deal okay. with. So if you're working with them, there's, there's definitely options. Um, and so what about, um, so what does the actual process look like? Someone's working with you. How do they get started? What's the. Yeah. So the, the process for buying a business is um, there's a bunch of on market deals, right? So if, if you're going to sell your business, you're going to find a broker, they're going to advertise it. There's some big um, marketplaces. One's called Flippa, F-L-I-P-P-A. Uh, one's called Biz Buy Sell. There's a number of other ones that are for business in general, not niche to online. Um, and you can find some online businesses there. Uh, then you can go to brokers. Brokers will have a number of different sites uh, for sale on their website. Um, the challenge is if a seller knows he wants to sell and he's using a broker, it's going to be selling at a premium. So I, I try to actually avoid those unless I find a nugget that's super interesting. Um, and so what typically happens is you uh, you find the business online because they have a, a mini ad. It's called a teaser. If you like it, you send a note to the broker. They ask you to sign an NDA. Uh, once you sign the NDA, they give you the full prospectus with the name of the website. You then have a call with the broker, have a call with the seller. You do some due diligence. If you like it, you negotiate an offer. You put a letter of intent in place. Um, that letter of intent tells the seller to take it off the market because you're going to do some final due diligence. And then uh, at that point, you sign a final contract. Your money goes into escrow. Um, there's a company called escrow.com specifically for, uh, for these kinds of transactions. And uh, the assets get transferred in your name. So the, the website that goes to your hosting, you get the domain, all that gets moved over. And the money gets released out of escrow. That's the process. Um, what I do as a buyer broker, uh, one, I, I walk you through that process. I help you. I, I do all the conversations with the brokers, with the sellers. Um, by the time I tell you there's an interesting business, it's because I've done all the legwork. And for me, it's, it's a volume game. Like I know that I need to look at two to 300 different websites to find the two or three that are valuable and that there's nuggets of opportunity within them. Um, but where I think I bring the most value is off market deals. So, um, just like when your real estate agent comes and knocks on your door and says, Hey, I have a buyer for you. <laughs> um, I do that all the time. I, I'm constantly networking with, uh, site owners. I'm constantly looking out for, uh, what are the trends? What could happen? I'm sending out emails to, uh, to site owners telling them I have a buyer, even though I sometimes don't. And I try to get them on board to sell their business for the buyers that I have. And when you do that, you don't have a broker on the other side that's coming in and creating these crazy valuations that don't make any sense. Um, it's a lot more work because the seller isn't prepared to sell. So you have to sit with them and help them create the profit and loss statement, uh, uncover all their, their emails. Like you, you have to do a lot more due diligence. However, there's some uh, really good opportunities that can come out of, uh, of doing that process. So um, yeah, working with me is, is pretty simple. If you're interested, uh, we have a conversation. I learn a little bit about who you are and the type of skills that you have. Um, if, if you want to get into e-commerce versus if you're a programmer and you have passion for software, then maybe we'll go more of a SaaS direction. But we have that conversation. Um, 
And then after that, I, I just, I, I continue what I do every day anyway. I just go and hunt and look and try to find deals that make sense. And then I'll start sending you opportunities. I'll tell you what I like about them, what I don't like about them. So there's a bit of a learning process uh, as you see the opportunities. Um, and then when there's one we like, I start negotiating on your behalf. Um, and then at the end, I say, hey, we're good to go. Uh, I do want the buyer to have a call with the seller. Um, the relationship of buyer-seller is absolutely critical. Because no matter how many times a seller says, oh, it's a two-week transition period, I'll give you everything, and you're flying 100 miles an hour, you're good to go, it never works that way. You need two to three months minimum. Um, you're going to have questions. You, you need to be able to trust each other because there is an overlap time where you're going to be working together. Um, and then if that works out well and there's a good relationship between buyer and seller, um, then we usually close. And on small businesses, less than 25 grand, we usually, it's, it's kind of a handshake and, and, a, and a simple contract. On larger deals, we'll go the letter of intent route. Um, we'll use escrow and, and we'll do it a, a lot more formally. Okay. Um, I wanted to just go back to one of the things you mentioned. Um, so you, you touched on off-market. I figured that would be the best way to find some of the, the deals. But if someone finds, if you find an opportunity in the U.S., we go back to the financing piece, can a Canadian get financing in the U.S.? Is that viable? Uh, yeah, so there, there's two different types of sales. There's a share sale and there's an asset sale. 90% of the deals happening in this industry are asset sales. So um, share sale is when I buy the shares of your company, the company stays intact. The, the risk is that anything that you may have done under the company now comes with it. So if you didn't pay your taxes properly, if you've got a lawsuit pending, I had to deal with that. You could put protections in the contract to say you still own that, I'm not liable for it, but it's an added risk that you have to think of all the things that you can cover yourself for. Uh, but the benefit of that is that you get the credit of the business. So if that business has been working really well for five years, you can go to a bank and say, hey, look, I have this business entity. It's a U.S. business entity. It's going to be um, requiring a loan. Now you can, you can get a loan because it's a U.S. entity and you're getting it from a U.S. bank. Uh, but usually the risk outweighs the benefit. And so we don't go with a share sale, we go with an asset sale. And so the asset sale is you build a company. So if you're Canadian, you would build a Canadian entity. And then you buy just those assets, the website, the marketing list and all that, and it gets lumped into your business. So it is now a Canadian entity. And you expect the seller to close off his business. Like It doesn't really matter what the seller ends up doing. At the end of the day, you have these assets that you bought. And what's really cool from a tax perspective is because they're assets, you can depreciate them. Um, so it depends on your accountant. Some people depreciate them at a pretty aggressive rate of three years. Um, others do it over 10 years, but you know, obviously get tax advice when you get to that point. But um, yeah, I, I recommend an asset sale. It's a, just a lot easier to do. Okay. Well, that's great. And so how do people get in touch with you as a next step? So um, anybody that's in our group, I'm, I'm in the group now. So feel free to just uh, uh, connect with me through there. Um, the website is madxcapital.com, M-A-D-X-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Um, the, the way I like to work is just having a conversation first. So almost everything on the website leads to a consultation. We book a 20-minute consultation and we have a conversation. It's completely free. There's no, no strings attached. Um, so that way is an easy way to connect with me. Um, otherwise, you can just email me directly at Laurent, L-A-U-R-E-N-T, at maddoxcapital.com. 
Um, and that's it pretty much. That's great. Laurent. thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story and what you do. I think there'll be some really good conversations that are going to come out of this. So thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking time to listen to the Cash Folk Canucks podcast. You'll be able to find out more about our guests and how to connect with them in the show notes for this episode. Would you like to learn the secret way savvy investors and smart entrepreneurs are turning their expenses into positive cash flow? Then you want to read the Infinite Banking Concept book. For a limited time, I am giving away free copies of this book valued at $30. If you want a copy, just email me, Peter, with the subject line book to peter at cashflowcanucks.ca. Again, if you want a free copy of the Infinite Banking Concept book, just email me at peter at cashflowcanucks.ca with the subject line book and your mailing address and I'll send you a copy. You'll finally understand how the wealthy elite is turning everyday expenses into cash flow. Just email me at peter at cashflowcanucks.ca. 